Poland. Uh, things that come to mind. Not a whole lot. No. Uh, Polish sausages? No, I don't know anything about that country. <laughs> Pierogies. Is that it? We hope it's not. That's what we're going to try to show you. Welcome to Polcast, Paul and all that jazz. Hello, I'm Małgorzata Bonikowska. And I'm Tomek Kniat. Welcome to Polcast. In this episode, we will tell you... What do Poles love to talk about? Poland's heroic past, battles and wars, but this story is irresistible and totally unique. How about the Canadian jazzman who discovers and reconnects with his Polish roots? Part 2. And what storks and cabbage have in common? More than you think? Idioms, as we know, are phrases unique to each language. If you were to translate them literally from language A to language B, they would make no sense. Not only do they make no sense, but sometimes the effect can be really amusing. Listen to these literal translations of some Polish idioms. Try to guess what they can mean. Stuff yourself with hay. Means get lost. Wrap in cotton. Which means beat around the bush. Look for a hole in the hole. Be nitpicky. Divide the skin on a bear. Count the chickens before they're hatched. To be not in sauce. To feel unwell, to feel under the weather. Have flies up your nose. Sulk, be moody. Thank you from the mountain. Thank you in advance. Of course, it's not just Polish. It works the other way around as well. When you think about English idioms and their literal translations, some of them sound really crazy. Think about what it literally means to feel under the weather or to beat around the bush. <laughs> In our previous episode, you heard an extraordinary story of Ron Davis, a renowned Canadian jazz musician, composer and pianist, whose mother, a Polish Jew, a concentration camp survivor, used to tell him for years about his grandfather, Joseph Ladotsky, nicknamed Fat Joe, Gruby Josiek, and his famous pre-war restaurant on Gnojna Street in Warsaw. She told him that the place was immortalized in a Polish song she didn't know. Joseph Ladowski died before the war. The Jewish area of Warsaw was destroyed as all family documents. Decades later, in Toronto, Ron and his mother found a music book showcasing the piece, 
and discovered that the song, A Party at Fat Joe's, Bal Ugrubego Yoshka, also called Bal na ulicy Gnojnej, Party on Gnojna Street, was a classic known to most Poles. Ron recorded an album with three arrangements of Bal na Gnojnej titled My Mother's Father's Song. His father, who helped finance the album, died the day after Ron finished the recording. But that's not even the end of the story, right? The end of the story goes to Poland. That's right. Uh, so the Consul General here in Toronto, uh, uh, Gregorz Jopkiewicz, found out about me. And he said, I can't believe that the grandson of, uh, of Groba Joska is here in Toronto. So he and the, the Polish government very kindly and generously arranged for me to do a small tour of Poland and um, most notably to go play at the um, uh, Festival of Jewish Music in Warsaw that takes place in August. The um, concert was booked for uh, August 23rd, uh, 2013, uh, which is the day after my birthday. So uh, at that point, uh, my mother was bedridden, uh, uh, but she was still, she had her faculties, uh, but she couldn't get out of bed uh, anymore. And I used to go over every day to help take care of her. And she was so proud of, of, of the album and of, uh, and I recorded the song and she was so proud of the CBC special. And I would go to the house uh, to spend time with her and we would, with her caregivers, take her out of bed. She rarely got out of bed, but we would get her into a wheelchair, wheel her to the piano, and I would play her the song. And whenever it got to the chorus of the song, she would always start singing. Otherwise she would be quiet, she would sing. So I told her, mom, the Polish government is going to take me to Poland to play your father's song. And she was so excited for me and, and so happy. And so we were coming up uh, to uh, August 23rd. I was to depart on August 22nd, 2013. And uh, the day before, uh, August 21st, I get a phone call from my mother's caregiver saying, Ron, I think you better come over. I rushed over to the house and I got there just for the last minute of my mother's breath. And she passed away on, on, on uh, uh, sorry, not the 21st, the 20th. She passed away on the, on, on the 20, uh, 20th. And at that point, the question was, what do we do about the concert? Uh, in Jewish tradition, you have to have the burial the next day, and then you have seven-day mourning period. Well, the family talked, and we agreed that I should carry through with the concert. So, uh, I left one day later. I left on, on the 23rd for Warsaw. And on the 24th, I was on the stage uh, in Warsaw, in the Jewish theater there, which happens to be near Ulitsa Rinkova, which is exactly where my father's, my grandfather's uh, uh, restaurant, it was really a booze can, it wasn't a restaurant, but uh, it was. And um, we performed Balna Gnojna, and while we, we being the, uh, my trio, two Polish musicians and myself, performed uh, Balna Gnojna, we projected a photo of my mother from 1940s onto the screen for everyone to see. And I played the song and then as, as we do in jazz, I did a bit of improvisation over the song. And then I, I recapitulated the song. I started playing the song again. But after the first or second bar of the song, I motioned to the band 
to stop playing, and I stopped playing, and I stood up, and the audience was, all the audience, 250 people were singing the song with my mother's picture on the stage, and that's how we ended up. the same picture that's on the cover of the album? The exact same picture. My mother in 1947, she, uh, that picture was taken while she was in a refugee camp, actually, in Linz, Austria, just having come uh, out of concentration camp. And like that whole generation of survivors, she pulled herself together and she was going to live life. So although uh, at the time she had just died, uh, that picture was a symbol of survival and life, just like the song itself. It's a a symbol of the survival of, uh, of my mother, of, of the Polish people, and of Warsaw. You are listening to Polcast. For more, visit mypolcast.com. many stereotypical opinions about Poles is that they are cabbage eaters. Now that it has been scientifically proven and agreed that cabbage is amazingly healthy, this is not a reason for sneering. We do like our cabbage, especially one of its forms, sauerkraut, in Polish called sour cabbage, kapusta kwaszona, or kishona, real delicacy. It's also great for your health, like most fermented vegetables, such as Korean national dish kimchi. It's often eaten raw as salad, but every Pole loves a traditional dish made with sauerkraut called bigos. Every family has its own way of making bigos, but one thing is common to all the recipes. The longer you cook it, the better it gets. Some people cook it for a few hours, and then take it outside to the cold, let it freeze for a while, and then resume cooking. What are the ingredients? The main ingredient for bigos is of course sauerkraut. Some people add fresh cabbage. The next very important pieces in this meal are dried mushrooms soaked and chopped, variety of meats, starting with smoked bacon, pork, veal, different kielbasas, and other meats, leftovers from your fridge. People also add onions, lightly fried, flour, salt, black pepper, even a bit of sugar. And at the end of cooking, I like to pour red wine to my bigos to bring up all the flavors. Since most people cook a big pot of bigos, there is always some left. The more times it's warmed up, the better it tastes. And again, when it's not eaten, it should be kept in the cold. In the cold? Yes, bigos tastes particularly good in the wintertime, when we come to a warm home from the freezing outdoors, skiing, skating, or from a long walk. In the past, hunters were served bigos after or during a winter hunting expedition. Noblemen visiting their neighbors would often bring a pot of bigos with them. Bigos goes really well with Polish vodka, drunk in shots. Interestingly, the word bigos in colloquial Polish means mess, problems. Ale bigos means what a mess. 
It's a story of a great Polish soldier. He loved beer, Polish food, having a cigarette and good company, but was fearless on the battlefield. Sounds like a typical wartime Paul. And he was. Kinda. His name was Wojtek, a common Polish name. So far, nothing special, except that Wojtek was a huge brown bear. 1942, Iran. A local boy found a bear cub whose mother had been shot. He sold it for a can of food to Polish soldiers from the Polish Second Corps, a formation made up of Polish prisoners released from Soviet labor camps who were getting ready to fight. The Anders Army was named after the commanding officer, Major General Władysław Anders. The baby bear was fed with condensed milk from a vodka bottle. He grew up among the soldiers and became one of them. Wojtek loved fun. He loved to wrestle. He could salute. He was often rewarded with beer, which became his favorite drink. He also enjoyed smoking and eating cigarettes. I think the men found in the bear um, almost another human being to whom they could relate and, and love and have friendship and fun and games, as well as, you know, obviously support each other during a time of war. But Wojtek was not just a pet. He was a brother-in-arms to the soldiers, fearless on the battlefield. The bear didn't know he was a bear. He thought he was a soldier, and he actually then was given the name, rank and number of a soldier, and he performed heroically. With the official rank of private, Wojtek accompanied the unit on its trek from Iran through Iraq, Syria, Palestine, Egypt to Italy, and then to Scotland. During the historic Battle of Monte Cassino, Wojtek carried heavy boxes of artillery ammunition. He wasn't trained to carry munitions. He just simply did this because he saw what his fellow soldiers were doing and he was part of the team. Wojtek's unit ended up in Glasgow, Scotland, where he was a local attraction. Unfortunately, after the demobilization of the unit in November 47, the soldiers had to place Wojtek in the Edinburgh Zoo, where he died on the 2nd of December 1963. His death was announced on the British radio. I think Key once told me, he said it was like putting an arrow through your heart. And he said, it was like that because it was the last thing, the last possession. They had nothing left after Wojtek had gone. A monument of Wojtek the Bear, the fifth one erected to his memory, was unveiled in November 2015 in Edinburgh city centre. The ceremony was attended by the last surviving soldier of the 22nd Artillery Supply Company, Professor Wojciech Narembski, a geologist who, during his time in the unit, went by the name of Little Wojtek to distinguish himself from Wojtek the Bear. Sculptor Alan Beatty Harriet, the author of the bronze statue of Wojtek the Bear, says this. We feel that the, uh, the, the sacrifice made by the Polish soldiers during the Second World War was, was, uh, was an incredible sacrifice and almost unrecognized, generally speaking, unrecognized. After all, it was a Polish flag that was raised above Monte Cassino. Um, Polish pilots fought at the Battle of Britain um, and at the end of the war the Polish forces were not invited 
to the Victory Day celebrations in London, which was a sin and disgrace. And perhaps this, this monument in Scotland um, will go some way to, to rectifying that injustice. Imagine a classical music concert, 300 meters, about a thousand feet underground, in a chapel said to have the best acoustics in Europe. Where is that chapel? In a world-famous salt mine in southern Poland, close to Kraków, Wieliczka. Opened in the 13th century, the mine produced table salt continuously until 2007, being one of the world's oldest salt mines in operation. The Wieliczka mine's attractions include dozens of statues, exquisite wall carvings and four chapels carved out of the rock salt by the miners. The older sculptures have been supplemented with new carvings made by contemporary artists. The rock salt is naturally grey in various shades, resembling unpolished granite rather than the white or crystalline look that many visitors may expect. The crystals of the chandeliers are also made from rock salt, but the rock salt that has been dissolved and reconstituted to achieve a clear glass-like appearance. In 1978, it was placed on the original 12-site UNESCO list of the World Heritage Sites. It's the only salt mine in the world preserved in such pristine condition. Its corridors are over 287 kilometers long, which is about 178 miles. The mine features an underground lake, a chapel, and a wellness complex because of its microclimate, uh, famous for therapeutic properties. An underground sanatorium is located at a depth of 135 meters, and chronic allergic diseases are treated there. About 1.4 million people visit the salt mine, walking its 3.5 kilometer, which is about 2.2 miles, touring route, less than 2% of the length of the mine's passages. One traveled Frenchman observed in the 18th century that Wieliczka salt mine was no less magnificent than the Egyptian pyramids.
These are sounds made by storks. Storks are large, long-legged, long-necked, white, wading birds. Their long beaks are red, and so are their legs. Storks have no syrinx, which is typical of songbirds, and therefore they're mute. So they communicate by means of bill clattering, like you heard. Storks are carnivores. They eat frogs, fish, insects, earthworms, as well as small birds and small mammals, such as mice and even rabbits. They are like Canadian snowbirds. It means Canadians who spend winters in warm places to escape from a cold. For example, in Florida. Storks leave pollen to migrate south in winter, reaching South Africa. They don't fly over the Mediterranean Sea, but over Turkey, Syria, Lebanon and Israel. Why? You can find out on our website, mypodcast.com. Storks often build their nests on house roofs, but occasionally on top of electrical poles. Their nests are often very large. Some grow to over two meters, six feet in diameter, and about three meters, ten feet in depth. Storks return to the same nest, their home, every spring. Storks love Poland. About a quarter of the world's population live there. That's over about 40,000 of the 160,000 world's storks, especially in eastern Poland. They're the so-called stork villages that have several nests. The record belongs to a small village, Kłopot, which actually means trouble, inhabited by around 200 people. It has 22 stork nests. Why do storks love it so much? No one knows. But because they do, Poland's first and one of the Europe's few museums of storks was opened there. There's also a webcam where you can see live how they lay eggs and how they care for their little ones. Storks were once thought to be monogamous, but not for life. They may change mates after migration. They may migrate without a mate. Storks' size, monogamy and faithfulness to an established nesting site contribute to their prominence in mythology and culture. Poles, Lithuanians and Ukrainians believe that storks bring harmony to a family on whose property they nest. German and Dutch households would encourage storks to nest on their houses, sometimes by constructing purpose-built high platforms to bring good luck. In Germany, a nest on a house was believed to protect against fires. Storks were also protected because of the belief that their souls were human. According to European folklore, the stork is responsible for bringing babies to new parents. The legend comes from the ancient times, but became popular thanks to 19th century fairy tale The Stork, authored by Hans Christian Andersen, Danish writer whose fairy tales all Poles grew up on. A long-term study that showed a spurious correlation between the number of storks' nests and human births is widely used in the teaching of basic statistics. As an example, to highlight that correlation does not necessarily indicate causation. The child-bringing myth has appeared in different forms in history. Children of African-American slaves were sometimes told that white babies were brought by storks, while black babies were born from buzzard eggs. So, if babies are not brought by storks, 
there must be found in cupboard. It's time for our next sound from Poland. Here it is. Listen, think, guess. Where do you need to be in Poland in order to hear this sound? And what is it? listening to the third episode of Polcast. Polcast is created, recorded and produced in Toronto by Małgorzata Panikowska and Tomek Kniat. We would like to thank Ola Turkiewicz for the jingles, Michalina Paczyńska for logo design, Ania Kniat for her contribution. For full-length interviews, visuals and a lot of additional information, please visit our website at mypolcast.com. Thank you for listening. In the story about Wojtek the Bear, you heard a song about this bear soldier sung by British singer Katie Carr. We leave you with a full song and invite you to listen to our interview with Katie Carr in the next episode of Polcast. Because Wojtek was not available for the interview.
Oh, 